So, Brian, before we start the show, yeah, we got a voicemail from voicemail. A, a big fan in Australia named Ben. Hey, Ben. How's it going? <laughs> pretty good. He's got a couple of questions, and he wants to know some of our theories about what's going on, but instead of me sitting here explaining it to you like a jackass, I'll just play it for you. How's that? All right. Do it up. Hey, guys. Uh, first off, just wanted to say um, big fan of the show. My name's Ben. Um, I'm from Australia, if you can't tell from my accent. Basically, I just had a couple of questions. I just wanted to maybe sort of gauge your opinion. Just wondering, obviously the show's been at least guaranteed for a couple of seasons. I'm just wondering where you think the show... I mean, I know I've... I think I've had your opinions on where the show will end up, like, in its finale, like, sort of crossing over with with Breaking Bad, and that could be interesting. But I was just wondering uh, how you thought the first season would end. And also, what do you think about, I'm sure someone's probably pointed this out before, but do you feel like there's a lot of similarity between Saul Goodman, a.k.a. Uh, Jimmy McGill, so Jimmy McGill being like the Walter Whites and Heisenberg Saul Goodman, I mean, obviously the levels are a bit different, but there's that same sort of corruption element going. Just wondering if you guys sort of felt that sort of going from, you know, good, honest guy, and then there's also the you know, um, Jimmy McGill, like, sort of having his name taken away from him and sort of how um, also to, like, the company he started being essentially taken from underneath him, which is the same with Walter White and Grey Matter. Yeah, I just want to hear your thoughts and um, all the best. Uh, I enjoy listening to your thoughts on the show. Keep it up. All right, uh, Ben, good questions, man. First off, thanks for participating like that. That's pretty awesome that you went through so much effort just to talk to yeah, us. We're glad you listened to the our show. first and... voice message. Right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome, buddy. So what we're going to do is, uh, I tell you what, let's go ahead. Uh, Dave and I are going to sit down, watch uh, the new episode of Better Call Saul, and we'll uh, touch base with you at the end of the episode. Thanks for participating. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is It's All Good, Man, The Better. Better Call Saul Podcast. I'm Brian, and with me, as always, is my co-host Dave. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm feeling a little out of place like a train station tampon today. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Uh, Before we get started, It's All Good, Man is brought to you by Toe Jam and Earl, back in the groove. Uh, For those of you old school video game uh, enthusiasts like Dave and myself, Greg Johnson, the co-creator of Toe Jam and Earl, you might remember that from back on the Sega Genesis, and they had an Xbox game, actually has a Kickstarter going right now where he's trying to raise money from the fans to create a brand new true sequel to the first Toe Jam and Earl game. Uh, if you go to our websites, uh, nothingimportantpodcast.com or itsallgoodman.com, you'll see the link on the side, it's a picture of Toe Jam and Earl. You can check out the Kickstarter, see what the rewards are, and participate. We need to raise uh, a decent amount of money in the next 20 days so we can get a true sequel to Toe Jam and Earl 1. So please, if you like old school video games at all, please hit up the website, check out the Kickstarter, and donate. Greg called us yesterday when we were recording Nothing Important and uh, gave us all sorts of insight and info. Just a, a really cool dude. 
gave us a really cool interview, and you can actually hear that at nothingimportantpodcast.com. Yeah, if you like what this show is really about, if you really get what we're trying to do, you will get this game, and it's definitely a, a culture you should be a part of. Yeah, Absolutely. So nothingimportantpodcast.com. Check out the interview with Greg Johnson, and check out the Kickstarter through the link. All right, Dave. So, this episode was all about Mike. All about Mike. The man, the myth, the legend, Mike Ermintrout. Yeah, a lot of people's favorite character on the old Breaking Bad. Yeah, we were we were pretty excited when it showed um, the previews for the next episode, and it was very apparent it was going to be an episode all about him. And, and with preview with a prior, we that's pretty much what we focused on. Yeah, we just went Mike centric with it. We went we went very <laughs> Mike centric, and uh, we hit on some things, and we we kind of missed a couple things, but that's okay. That's just the way it goes with our podcast. Yep, yeah, we just kind of like to throw things out there and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. And I, I and we actually got some to stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was actually proud and impressed with myself this week. Yeah, and we were way the hell off on other things, but that's all right. <laughs> Even talked myself out of a couple of right answers there. Right, so as the episode opens, uh, we see the train station, and Mike's on his way to the train station. He's arriving in Albuquerque. Arriving in Albuquerque. I didn't see Dave's guitar in the scene, but... (laughs) (laughs) We'll keep looking, though. We'll keep looking for Dave's uh, guitar that was stolen in Albuquerque out of his car. (laughs) But... (laughs) You better have a chance of finding that in Breaking Bad, because I'm pretty sure it was a meth head that stole my guitar. (laughs) But it, it was great because, um, again, not not a lot of words to the scene. It was just kind of a lot of visual exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mike arrives at the train station, and Stacy shows up. And that's where we find out that we were way off about calling Stacy Hunter. Yeah, I think yeah. in preview with a prior, we... We, uh, <laughs> we even went back and listened to it. <laughs> like, like, did he say honey, or did he say hunter? And for the record, Dave kept saying that she said honey. And I convinced Dave. I'm like, no, dude. Uh, she's he's he's referring to her as Hunter. So we figured that her name was Hunter, right? And uh, that's not the case at all. <laughs> we could have we could have done some research and we could have looked it up, but we want you guys to do that for us, right? Yeah, so. if you could. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is uh, this is the first episode when I noticed the extreme color changes between the flashbacks and the real time. Yeah, I don't know if that happened before. a little before. memento with it. The, the setup that, I da- that Dave and I uh, usually use to uh, watch Better Call Saul is a projection system on a projection screen here in my living room in Chicago, Illinois. And as I was watching that, I thought maybe something was wrong with the projector, like maybe the bulb was going out or I need to adjust the setting. <laughs> the contrast might be a little off. The contrast might be a little off, but no, they were absolutely just using the blue hues and such to signify that it was a flashback. But it really wasn't that apparent from the get-go that it was a flashback. Right. Which, which is why I was like, man, is something wrong with my projector? I was about ready to get mad. I play Smash Brothers on that projector, <laughs> damn it. Like, it's got it's to look clean and crisp. <laughs> I didn't even realize, honestly, I realized it was a flashback when he walked out to the curb after the conversation and it was, a cab picked him up. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, oh, he just got back into town. You know, he just arrived. Right. So this is definitely a flashback. Well, what I like about that scene is kind of the homemade um, surgery that oh, he yeah. had going on. Yeah. He sneaks into the women's bathroom and it's revealed. Uh, he grabs a tampon and we were kind of laughing about, you know, Mike getting a tampon and then he pulls off his. His uh, his his shirt, uh, his shirt to see the wound, and it's very apparent that he's just going to put the tampon in there to basically plug it up, plug it up. 
Wouldn't that be that, that? See, that should be Tampax's. <laughs> you just play the beginning of Carrie. No, right, like like Tampax's slogan should either it should be like Tampax, plug it up, <laughs> or or better yet, stick a cork in it. <laughs> Maybe Tampax should partner up with Glade, make plugins, scented. So as a, <laughs> doesn't this smell like summer rain? <laughs> oh, that's just my uh, bullet wound. <laughs> but <laughs> but when I when I was uh. Uh, when I was watching that, um, you know, Mike, uh, w- once again, just reinforced, he's a, he's a tough old fucker. Yeah. Just a tough, tough old dude. Pretty hard to bring down. And it's kind of funny because uh, on, a, on a side note, my wife was watching the episode with us and uh, she made the comment, um, damn, Mike looks older here than he did in Breaking Bad. <laughs> we kind of chuckled about that because a couple weeks ago, Dave, you were mentioning how... Uh, Bob Odenkirk <laughs> looks so much older in the flashbacks that <laughs> yeah. now are like years before even this prequel <laughs> than he did when he was Saul in Breaking Bad. Right, right. But I guess suspension of disbelief, right? Like, <laughs> like, like we get it. They're all older, but yeah. um, it, it's just kind of funny watching. It's like watching the Star Wars, how how uh, the movies that came way after seem to have way better technology than the mm. movies that came before or well, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or the movies that came before have way better technology than the move technology than the movies that came after. Right. Yeah. Right. So then we, we always talk about like the short opening mm-hmm. and, uh, it was a phone booth with a phone book hanging down on it. Yeah. It was, it was the, the full page advertisement that you would run out of the yellow pages. Right. What, what I thought was neat about that. If you look at all the promotional art and all the advertisements and kind of like the iconic poster and how they were promoting, um, Better Call Saul, it was always a picture of Bob Odenkirk standing in the desert next to a payphone. And we saw a couple payphones before, but I, I just thought it was interesting that this was the actual setting then that they used for all that promo. Yeah, okay, yeah. Right, like if you, if you go to like amc.com across the top, the banner, it's, it's that payphone in the middle of yeah, the desert. Yeah, Better Call Saul, the payphone. Thing. Right, yeah, absolutely. So I, I just thought that was a neat little detail for like the 10-second opening that they had. <laughs> So this is when I realized through all of our speculation, because I did say originally I thought that uh, Stacy was Mike's daughter-in-law, mm-hmm. and I was right about that. Maddie was his son. Right. I yeah. was thrown off by the part where she called him Mike because that's just how, you know, personal experience kind of a thing. You know, in my family, you don't really call your in-laws by their first name. They're, they're your parents. Mm-hmm. You See, I, I didn't get that because I, I call my in-laws by by their right. first name so but I, I can kind of see where you're going sometimes people call him like dad or mr yeah. and Mrs. or just there was something about the way she had said it in the previews mm-hmm. like you know maybe it's just an acting thing where it just seemed like there was that tension over there but then it comes to find out there is some tension right and there is some things going on that needs to be straightened out right and, be, and before we get to that one thing that struck me as odd he, he was swinging his granddaughter on the swing mm-hmm. but wasn't his granddaughter also super didn't wasn't there a scene in breaking bad where mike like took his granddaughter to the park. They're the park, and he's pushing her on the swing. Right. Yeah. So does she not age at all? Because like in Breaking Bad, <laughs> she would have been like a teenager, right? Maybe we should look that up for the next preview of the prior or something, and uh, yeah. see if so. We're, we're going to look that up for preview actress. in a prior. And if anybody wants to send us the actual correction or or why that is, but I, I was so confused there because <laughs> I do remember it was Kaylee in both. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So it's the same character. Right. And I mean, she looked like she was at least like five years, <laughs> five years old yeah. and better call Saul. So she would easily be a preteen or a teenager in Breaking Bad. But 
I so maybe just in this universe, people, it's like this Benjamin Button universe, I guess. Everybody gets, <laughs> the older they get, the younger they look. Or maybe we could start some sort of weird, crazy fan theory about how like that scene in Breaking Bad was, wasn't really what was happening. That was like a secret flashback because the daughter. <laughs> Sixth sense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Kaylee's been dead the whole time. Right. But th- that really threw me for a loop. I was trying to figure out what was going there. And I was like, okay, well maybe, maybe he has multiple granddaughters and one's going to end up missing or something throughout the course of the series but that that was really really odd to me i i have no idea what that was all about yeah i just decided to roll with that one and just mm-hmm. kind of like oh that's the granddaughter okay right cool so uh then he has a talk with stacy and she's trying to hash out what exactly happened during matt's maddie's final days but mike is very very cryptic about it like he's very kind of standoffish right like he's still in the mode where like i'm I'm not going to tell her anything tell her anything she knows right i think it was more it was that whole like i'm not gonna tell you this until you're ready for it that's how you took it that's how i took it because once i realized how close they actually were and what was going on i was like this is going to come out eventually Mm -hmm. he's just not going to say it now right everything Right. Yeah. I, I, I just took it as he was just kind of being standoffish and I, I didn't think like that particular thing would be resolved in the episode for whatever reason. But mm. I, I just took it as like since Mike is kind of like a, uh, you know, like a like a solitary character mm-hmm. and he, he tends to keep, play things close to the chest mm-hmm. that I mean, it was obvious he had some sort of involvement or some sort of knowledge. But I thought he was just going to stonewall the entire time and just keep with his story. Like, I, I didn't talk to him. I don't mm-hmm. know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, I kind of felt that coming basically for the audience's benefit. Like, Mike, Mike's going to tell the story. And then later on, we'll get to when it played out, he did. Right. And during, during that conversation, that was the, the first time that we find out his son was a police officer as well. A rookie police officer mm-hmm. as uh, Mike was pretty much towards the end of his career. Right, and he actually makes the comment there. Um, he he did make sure to mention that his son was a better cop than he was. Right, yeah, he maintained that throughout the episode. His basically his son is a better person, mm-hmm. high integrity, and almost like uh, Jimmy and uh, Chuck kind of a thing going on. That respect, but different lifestyles and and approaching the same job from a different viewpoint. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, Man, they really love duality. Yeah, they love so much duality. Man, that's oh. why I guess that's why every camera shot is like half the face is covered in shadow. Yeah, it's like everything's all duality. Real, real quick, what, what Dave's referencing is Dave's friend Tammy sent him an article. Like it, it was one of these like twenty one things you'll never notice about Better Call Saul, or that you didn't notice about Better Call Saul. So it's like clickbait, right? Because like it's just totally an article to get people to view the advertisements on that page. Because the the first fact was completely legitimate and everybody and i was like wow i I never would have thought of that i don't even know what the exact details of what it was but literally every other quote-unquote fact after that it was if you notice the lighting in this scene it only lights half of saul's face (laughs) and i was like okay well that's kind of a stretch for a fact i didn't know but i guess like light you know like audio visual people might be yeah it's totally a cinematography thing that happens all the time you know okay that's cool let's see what the next fact is and then it's like but in this scene the light only lights the left half of this character's <laughs> face, and like all down the whole it just list, got redundant after. Yeah, a while. it was like it was. Besides the first fact, everything was about how half of somebody's face <laughs> is lit up, <laughs> or or certain camera angles. But there's such stretches. It's like because 
I mean, how many scenes have the faraway shot? Right. How many times do they zoom up from underneath? You know, that's right. just stylistic choices. I get it, and but you know, just right. Pretty much, pretty much, it was stuff like in Breaking Bad. There was multiple landscape shots of sand. In Better Call Saul, <laughs> they also have landscape shots of sand. <laughs> so, Tammy, we we totally appreciate that kind of thing. We really do. I'm just kind of giving more of a hard time to the website. That, yeah, it's that, not you. It's the it's the uh, yeah. It's blatant, blatant clickbait. Blatantly trying to get people to view their website. To go back to the conversation between Mike and Stacy, we, we learn a little bit about that conversation before we find out what it was really all about. She states, because remember, it was in preview with a prior from the previous from AMC where she talks, um, you know, he, he was usually a pretty jovial guy, let things slide. And then the days before his death, his attitude changed, his attitude changed. Mm-hmm. He was different. He was standoffish. And she suspected that Mike was on the other other end. He was, he was in the middle of a phone call. Yeah, called him because, uh, and it turns out, you know, he was talking to Mike at 2.30 in the morning, and he acted like he didn't know what he was talking about, and she was pretty sure it was Mike that Mate. Maddie was speaking to, but he's still holding to it like, I, I don't, you know, I don't recall any calls yeah, about that. Basically just lawyer. Yeah. You know, same attitude, lawyer. I'm not going to say nothing. Yeah. yeah. He, it's, uh, you know, he, he's my son and he was a good cop and that's all I know about it. Mm-hmm. And then she felt that he was shutting her out and she was right. Her instincts were correct on that. Right. But it, it was very apparent from the look on her face after the conversation that she wasn't buying it. Right. Yeah. She wasn't like, buying it. At she, all. Wasn't, she wasn't impressed. She wasn't buying it, but she couldn't quite put the pieces together. Right. <laughs> like, right, right. like she was holding back, but you could, you could tell. So great acting. On uh, on uh, the actress who played Stacy's yeah, part, yeah, yeah, the scene that scene definitely came across the way it should have, and I think as I think most scenes do in this show, it's a pretty well acted show. Then it wipes to the uh, drug peddling pet doctor, right? Or right, yeah, the, the, the vet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> did we get a name for that vet? I don't think so. See, we watch, uh, we actually watch the show with the closed captions on because a lot of times it'll give the name of the character. Yeah, before uh, you even meet the character. Yeah, before we meet the character or before uh, another character calls them by name Mm -hmm. um but but i didn't get a name of the vet it it just kind of just kind of rolled with the conversation yeah i don't think it it did unless i was writing notes at the time or something and i I thought it was interesting uh you know because the vet was was doing mike surgery he was removing the bullet Mm -hmm. he had offered him sewed him up sewed him up offered him painkillers painkillers and then it was kind of funny that Mike wanted a sling for his arm, and the guy was basically like, uh, dude, I work on like dogs and cats. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you can go to Walgreens and get that shit, but we don't have that here. And then he offers them like a less human-centric pill or whatever. Right, yeah. <laughs> <Where it was laughs> like, 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 these are human painkillers, like, but at a discount price, I can give you animal painkillers. Yeah, horse tranquilizers. Like, that's why they call me Red, man. Right, so Mike, he, um, what the whole, the whole vet scene made me wonder then is... We know we now know that that Mike left Philadelphia shortly after the murder of his son. Right. But we don't know how long exactly he had been in Albuquerque. Yeah, that's that's still kind of Because it, it's still pretty ambiguous because Well, not now. They did explain it. 3 months. He was in 3 months. Remember they said they had no leads on Maddie's death. 3 months ago, those two cops came up dead. Mike left the day they died. So Mike's ah. been there for three months. Okay, so then I'd like to see what happened in that three months to where he made the connections with a dirty vet that would <laughs> that would <laughs> yeah. like some old guy comes in with a bullet wound. It was the cabbie. 
Do you even watch the show? Uh, apparently not. How he gets in the cabbie and he starts asking the cabbie a bunch of questions. And then he says to the cabbie, how well do you know this town? You know? And he says, I know the town really well. And he's like, how well do you know this town? Like, I'm looking for the underground stuff. And then it cuts to the doctor. So the cabbie knew. My wife is shaking her head at me. I have no idea how I missed that. Was I getting food or something at that time? I have no idea how I you missed You might have that. been getting food or something. Because you caught that too, right? I totally caught that. Yeah. Well, I suck. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's when I said, did you see that he's bleeding? Oh, that's right. She made then Chris made the comment. Oh, that's right. Are oh, you okay. using your name on the show? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so then Kristen made the comment that, uh, did you know that he's bleeding? And then I guess I'm the only one who watched That's the right. show. That's right. I do remember my Because I had to explain to her. I do remember Kristen saying that because uh, I looked up from writing my notes. So that's probably why I missed it because I was ah, writing right. notes about yeah. the, the vet scene. So. The downfall of handwriting notes while we're watching <laughs> the show. <laughs> <laughs> we're not joking when we say we watch the show, take notes, and turn on the microphones right, <laughs> yeah. right after. Because apparently I missed a really pivotal part. And this is what happens when it's fresh in our brains. Right, but just once again to address like the one-star review we got, there was milk, motherfucker. There was milk. <laughs> All right, Dave. So then, so then we star wipe. Yeah. No, okay, actually, so. that's, that's one of my favorite wipes so far. I don't know why. I laughed when it happened. Yeah, you did. You made kinda, a lot of comments about that. What amused you about that so much? I, don't, I think it was the, well, the drastic color change, but I don't know. Just something about right, it. Right, because we, we talked about I thought something was wrong with my projector, mm-hmm. and then that's, that's when you find out it is an actual flashback. And can I just say, I'm thinking throughout that whole scene, you couldn't have done this with a phone call. Do they have? Did they have to physically be in a police station to have this conversation? You know, they what? came all the way from Philadelphia just to ask him a few questions. Right, but I, I think what I got from that, especially with the way that the last episode ended, Dave, mm-hmm. is that they're kind of involved in that too. Because remember, it's like killing Caesar; everybody's guilty. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I took that as kind of like a subtle threat. Like they're like it, it was showing like this means something. Like hey, I know how to find you. Right, you know okay. what I mean. Yeah. Like like I we was, showed up and we came all the way across the country. And now we're in your face. We know how to find you, which would also explain uh, Mike always being one step ahead of the game. Why he propositions Saul with, "Okay, so what you're going to do after we talk to mm-hmm. him? He's going to put that in his pocket, and you're going to spill the coffee on him." Right. And you know what? I didn't think he was going to. I, yeah. I I thought he was going to do it, but like I started questioning it because once again, it went to the whole thing where it seems like old Jimmy McGill is uh, <laughs> sticking to his guns, right? Because it's yeah. just like when Mrs. Kettleman, or yeah, Mrs. Kettleman tried to bribe him. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not taking your bribe. Well, he was he was insulted that he, yeah. Mike had to try to, Mike tried to get him to do it. That know. must just be like a total defense mechanism of the character, like to create, like basically creating like an alibi. So if anybody ever accuses him of doing something like that, he'd be like, no, I, I told him no. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then, <laughs> he always protests a little bit before he goes through with it. Right. And the, the only thing that Mike says throughout the entire uh, interrogation. Yeah. Entire exchange is just lawyer. 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 Give him the card. And, and then they, he you know, slides the card up all cinematic like. And I really liked how um, how that whole went down because uh, Jimmy McGill busted in like he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. He was like ready for business. Remember, he we talked about that a few episodes ago where he was he was kind of sheepish at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, and he he had to psych himself up in the bathroom. So I wonder if he, he was in the bathroom like psyching himself up to. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen if it was if it was something like that because as as little screen time as Jimmy McGill got in this episode, mm-hmm. they still used it to make another step in the confidence. Right. He he came he came in like a powerhouse, just like uh, in Breaking Bad, his first appearance, where he's like you know. Wh- 
uh, what are you two idiots or whatever talking to my client? What do mm-hmm. what you ask him? You know, he kind of gave the police officers a hard time when he was walking through the police station. He's like, where's Armentrout? Where's my client? You, you yeah. know, and he was just kind of like, you know, flexing muscle all the way until the room. <laughs> so he does spill the coffee. Yeah, because I like how Mike basically, <laughs> I, I love the exchange where Mike was like, uh, dude, you owe me. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> like, yeah, but this is like way far above and beyond. <laughs> yeah, that's really not the same. Like this is like an exponentially higher crime than <laughs> than what you know, like for uh, poking you in the chest yeah. and you beating my ass and like you letting me off of that assault. This is like infinitely more trouble. Mike states that Saul owes him a favor because you dropped the charges for assault and helped him find the Kettleman's. Right, but that's kind of a twofer. I don't know. Maybe it is equal out. Yeah, I guess I guess <laughs> now thinking about it, yeah. That's I guess point. now thinking about it because he, he kind of made I mean he I mean he I guess he kind of made Saul a lot of money. <laughs> that's made. true, but he doesn't know, but that's one of those things, yeah, he doesn't even realize how much he really helps Saul out in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> right. So maybe that's that's why even after protesting to begin with, uh Jimmy McGill was like, Yeah, you know, screw it, we're gonna go for it. Because I like the way mm-hmm. they, they set up that shot where it was like the table in the middle mm-hmm. and they're all getting up. And shaking hands, and um, I, I think you and I kept going back and forth. Back, oh, he's going to do it. Oh, yeah, maybe he's think, not going to do it. I think I said the whole time he was going to do it. Yeah, I knew he was going to do it, and I kind of felt that it would be kind of like he doesn't even know he's going to do it until the moment he does it. Right, like yeah, just one like uh, like it, it just at a certain point, he's just like fuck it, I'm going for it. Right, yeah. And then Mike pounces on on the cop. And sleight of hand steals the <laughs> steals the notebook. The notebook, the whole case, right? Basically, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I and, the, and it goes to them in the parking lot, and Mike not giving a shit that they just stole a police officer's <laughs> like case book. <laughs> and I like that part where Jimmy's just like, "How did you know I was going to do it?" Never answered that, right? I don't. He think just kind of yeah. scoffed at him. He just he knew. Yeah, it's, yeah. Mike's a reader of people. You see that? Yeah, yeah Mike's a people right. person deep down. Well, I want to be like Mike. <laughs> but I really liked how uh, Jimmy referred to that as the old Juan Valdez uh, bump and dump. <laughs> <laughs> I made it a point to put that in my notes, and I circled it like three times. I'm like, oh, that's so clever. <laughs> bump and dump. But yeah, they come out of the uh, they come out of the police station. The audience comes out of the police station knowing what. At least what the cops know about what happened with Maddie, that he had two, he had a partner, mm-hmm. Troy, Troy Hoffman and uh, Fenske. And uh, kind of leads to my thing about how everybody was involved in some shady, some shady things and Maddie got the worst of it was my way of subtly saying he got straight up murdered. Yeah. It, it was established that Mike was on the force for uh, 30 years. And his son, that's when we found out that his son was a rookie cop. Mm-hmm. And um, and that his son was murdered in an ambush in uh, like a crack house, mm-hmm. and Mike believes that he was set up for it, and that the uh, Maddie's two guys. I don't I don't know if he was saying that like like Maddie was like a, like a sergeant or something in charge of these two guys, or it well, was I, just, I got that Hoffman was his partner, mm-hmm. and then like Fensky they brought him like a side man, was or like something? a friend or something, because the whole thing about how friends Fensky got the Hoffman first, so. Maybe they they weren't partners, but they're in the same precinct, mm-hmm. so they're friends. So they got involved in the shady deal because they're you know member of the same precinct. Yeah, they're they're, they're, they're all co-workers. buddies, right? Yeah. Well, the, yeah. once again, the whole Caesar thing, like we're we're all guilty mm-hmm. type deal. So then I think right off the bat, 
Is that the scene where you thought that Mike is the one that uh, off the Fenske and Hoffman? Yeah. Yeah, you got that right away. Yeah, I called that right from the get-go. Yeah, I said I didn't think that was the case right away. Yeah, I, I totally thought that, you know Mike Mike just killed him because obviously everything we know about Mike, he's not exactly the most straight up right. of dude. So in my head, it, it just kind of made sense that if they're all crooked and his son get killed, that Mike would be the one to kill them, and then that's why he went to Albuquerque, right? Which is is pretty much. And like, they've already established that he showed up in Albuquerque the day after they died with a bullet in his chest. Yeah, <laughs> probably should have put that together. <laughs> Not exactly a thinly veiled set of circumstances. So then it, it goes to once again to a flashback where. Uh, what did I call him? Rizzoli and Isles? Or yeah, <laughs> Rizzoli and Isles are sitting at the, at the table at the bar. And then and Mike appears in the parking lot and uses a shoestring to jimmy the door open. Mm-hmm. Pretty ingenious trick. I have um, learned a new trick. And it shows him um, taking something from the vehicle, but it never really showed quite what it what it was at that moment. Mm-hmm. It just showed him, it showed him reaching into the vehicle, and then it showed him drinking booze at the bar. Mm-hmm. Which coincides because previous to that, it was hinted at quite a few times that that Mike was an alcoholic. That yeah, like he, oh, that he said in the very beginning, "I'm back, I'm better." Right, I'm not like I was. Yeah, yeah, like, and then you know he's drinking his life away because he's mourning the loss of his son and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he's in the bar and he's tanking a few back, and he sees his son's partners. Their names, their names were what, Dave? Hoffman. Hoffman and Fenske. All right, so Hoffman and Fenske, and he kind of stumbles over, gives them, uh, gives them an awkward bro hug, and lets them know that he knows that they did it. And that's all he said. Yep, and that's all he said. And even then, I was like, see, told you, dude, he, he's going to kill these motherfuckers. <laughs> and you, and I think that was even the moment where you said, he ain't drunk. Right, okay, yeah, so let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> so... My whole theory at the same time, when, when he hugged him and told him that he knew he did it, that in my head, I, since Mike is, is pretty crafty and resourceful, I think that that was all a setup and Mike wasn't anywhere near as drunk as he was putting off to be. Correct. That is your assessment. Right. You, on the other hand, Dave, thought that he was hammered. I thought that he was definitely intoxicated, but maybe playing it up a little bit, mm-hmm. but he's been a cop for 30 years. He's that character where he could be that wasted and still be a badass and still shoot bullseyes or, or you know. Right, like maybe like yeah. maybe he just needed that little ounce of courage. Yeah, well, <laughs> not that, like he's just he just happens to be drunk and then he just happens to get himself, you know. You know, and I and I, I wrote about that about too him. when he was talking with the with the bartender cuz he closed down the bar and he made it a point to mention that he was headed to Albuquerque. Mhm. That he was going to walk home and he was he, would he sold his car. Right, and he appeared that he was really intoxicated to the point to where the bartender was trying to get a cab to right. bring him home or give him a ride home. And I I took that at that moment too. I'm like, he's establishing an alibi. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't have I couldn't have murdered these people because I, I was just too wasted. <laughs> right. And and I my thing was the biggest difference, level of intoxication or not, is you felt this was all premeditated. Mm-hmm. I felt that this was going to come down to a spur of the moment fight, fright or flight situation. Mm-hmm. But now that I think about it, he took the gun out of the cop car. So yeah, it's totally premeditated. Yeah, he, yeah. he totally he totally roped him in. So I mean, because if you remember the 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 police officers tried to settle in the car. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, you you told us you knew it was us. Basically, uh, 
what are you talking about? And do you want to hash this out right here? Mm -hmm. So they get scared. They pull over in the alley and they prop them up against the telephone pole and they start debating amongst themselves. uh, What are they going to do? What are they going to do? And it turns out they were, they were going to stage a suicide. Mm -hmm. And then, and the whole time it was totally like that, that classic angle that everybody uses before somebody gets shot in the head mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and i was just waiting for somebody's head to explode but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that they didn't do that but like for that whole 30 seconds i was just waiting i'm like his his face is just gonna explode any minute now nope instead they went with the typical uh we're How? having we're having a conversation and then in a badass way mike says i heard every word you just said you know i don't, I don't remember exactly what he says mm-hmm. oh but. that's what uh that's a good move that's what i would have done yeah that's yeah. right yeah he's because like, because he was referring i would have made it look like a suicide too that's mm-hmm. that's what i would have done yeah but I, I was totally waiting for like because we knew mike was shot at that point so i was uh you know i rag on like uh you know like dramas and stuff how it's always the same damn scenarios like on mm-hmm. every movie so like i was totally waiting for like the head to explode and then the guy turns around, shoots Mike, hits him in the shoulder, and then Mike shoots the other guy. Mm-hmm. But it was nice because it was a lot more slower placed and a lot more deliberate mm-hmm. and in many uh, respects realistic because he just told him, he's like, yeah, not a, not a bad play. Like, yeah. <laughs> checkmate, because that's what I would have done. done. And then they turn around. They see Mike pointing the gun at him. Uh, the officer on the right. Do you recall which one that I don't was? Remember. I honestly don't remember who was who. Tries to fire. But he dry fires. He dry fires. And that was Mike's gun. That was Mike's gun that he he planted for them to use, right? Right. He, so he, he he purposely had an empty gun on him, mm-hmm. knowing that this was gonna happen. Right. Yeah. Because they grabbed the gun from him mm. when they got him in the car. So yeah. So and he had the gun in his hands because they were gonna shoot him with his own gun to make it look like a suicide. Yeah. So that's why he already had the gun drawn or out. So he just immediately went to fire an empty gun. There was no bolts. Then Mike returns fire and shoots the partner dead. The surviving police officer fires back hits mike in the shoulder mike <laughs> fires like four times and totally off center doesn't kill him but wounds him walks up on him and executes him in the street which makes me think he was drunk because he hit his mark but not center uh that's a good point that's a good point but then he walked away awful calmly he wasn't stumbling and that's true that, that's why i'm saying he played up the drunkenness gotcha okay so that's- you, know, you gotta make it look real sometimes you can't be at a bar and not have a drink the whole night and then act <laughs> like you're wasted i mean you're not a 19 year old girl right <laughs> i can't even do the podcast and i have a drink i have a delicious stella artois <laughs> in my hand right now in fact before we record the next segment i'm gonna go get another one dave all right we're back i got a brand new stella artois <laughs> mm, i'm still sitting here empty-handed would you like a beer dave no thank you okay <laughs> So uh, Mike executes uh, his son's uh, quote unquote partners, his son's guys, and his son's killers. His son's killers, and he has to sit down with Stacy. Time to come clean. Mm-hmm. That was a really well acted scene. I concur. Right, like <laughs> <laughs> that's the first. You know, like that brought like a, a lot of depth. To, to Mike's characters, like he started to break up a little bit, started mm-hmm. to choke up, and yeah. you know he carries he carries the weight of of his son's death on his shoulders because he corrupted his own son. Mm-hmm. And what makes it worse is the way that it went about. He was basically trying to protect his son by yeah. by saying, "Look, the the reason why we we all." get along and the reason why why none of us turn each other in and what keeps us all safe is essentially they all have blackmail on each other 
and I'm, I'm going to keep saying this phrase this whole time because I really think it's like the whole point of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Like the path of hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. I mean, if I'm using that wrong, anybody correct me, please. But it's just like, everybody's trying to do the right thing and just ruining each other's lives. <laughs> but they're all right. trying to do the right thing. They're just ruining each other's lives over right. and over again. I, lo- I love um, the line where he said, y- you know, you know what a police officer is. His worst fear. His worst fear is going to prison, and that's mm-hmm. that's absolutely correct. You don't you don't want to go, and <laughs> you don't want to go live with the people that you help put away, right? And if you threaten a cop with that, you're going to make him dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and this, so basically, save your you know, and I like how he stated you know Matt Matt was a good enough and stand up guy that um, even though he knew he'd kill him, he, he was going to go to internal affairs anyway. Mm-hmm. Even though it was, you know, e- even though what kept him safe was. Uh, essentially mutually assured destruction right? right right like you if you go to internal affairs well see there's well, I, an, thought, I thought that what i got from him is that he wasn't gonna go he listened to mike but he had such a bad conscience about it that he gave hoffman the the slightest inkling that he might that, that's what i'm so saying they he, was going, he was going he was like he wasn't he, actually gonna do it he's gonna take the money and go along with it mike convinced him to take the money right Right, that's what I'm saying. But like he was, thinking of, he was thinking about doing it, was mm. going to do it as in like, you know, he was thinking about... Oh, you're saying before Mike talked him out of it. Right. Okay. And then Mike talked him out of it basically for your own safety. Like, hey, what yeah. keeps us safe is we all take a little money off the top, which also explains well, why Stacy at the beginning of this episode mentioned that he had an extra six yeah. $6,000 on him because they the lived paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, sometimes when you gather evidence at a crime scene and it's drug money, not all of it makes it to the evidence locker. And I really like how it... Um, Batman Begins reference. You want a taste? We all get nervous when you don't take a taste. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that when he exactly. was... Exactly. And I actually, uh, I actually wrote down what he said there. He, uh, as he was uh, blaming himself... For his son's murder, he says, you know, um, my son put me up on a pedestal, and then I had to show him that I was in the gutter with the rest, mm-hmm. and I and I broke my boy. Like, heart-wrenching, right? Yeah. yeah. That's that pretty well acted. Like, I don't typically, like, get into stuff that bad where I'm, like, on the edge of my seat, but I was, like, I, I, was, I, I was pretty into that scene. That was, that was a very heartfelt, deep scene. Yeah, I was really into this episode. Like, that's kind of, yeah, this episode had last... I don't know, more dramatic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more acting. It was more totally the opposite of last week's episode. Yeah, this is more powered by the performance of the actors and and uh, more about the growth people have experienced. Right, and, and then, then at the end lives. of it, uh, Stacy asked him, you know, who killed who killed Maddie's killers, mm-hmm. and his response was, you know, y- you know what happened. Can you live with that? Mm-hmm. And then it just pans out. End of episode. Fade to black. Fade to black. And Scenes now we do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Scenes from the next episode. Scenes from the next episode. <laughs> so overall, Dave, uh, what, what did you think about the episode overall? It didn't move Saul's story at all. Mm-hmm. But I think this is going to move the, the grander thing. I right. mean, obviously, because this is this is how Mike and Saul... Um, I really like the fact that this is where they start their collaboration between Jimmy and Mike. Like when Mike got him to spill the coffee, that was just another step in like the whole mutual whatever the relationship they've had. Mm-hmm. Mike's the muscle, right? Know. First, first they kind of had to stop, and then they collaborated, and now we all have and now to the, listen. Yeah. 
right, Dave, and on a vanilla ice reference, we're going to go to fan feedback. <laughs> or I guess fan listener feedback. feedback. <laughs> um, listener feedback. So Rantuck Jr., before the episode, uh, sent us and said, my prediction, this situation is... This situation with Mike's son is how he gets involved with Gus Fring. He needs someone who can eliminate whoever hurt his son. In return, he becomes the head of security for Fring, and this is also how Saul meets Fring and begins his transformation, which was a pretty good theory, but not not true at all, Randall. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> Mike took matters into his own hands. Yeah, he did. So, but not not a bad theory at all. That I I could have totally seen that that happening because I I think a lot of people like because we saw Tuco. Mm-hmm. And now I, I think everybody's, uh, you know, a lot of fans are like, all right, so when are, when are we going to see the next, like, famous face? When are we going to see right. the next next guy we know? How's it all going to come into play? Also, uh, Count Chris Doe tells us that the Jello name for the episode was changed due to copyright infri- infringement. And we kind of talked about uh, Dominic. Remember, Dominic uh, pointed out that everything ends in O, except for last episode was Alpine Shepherd Boy. And it turns out that it was um, Jello <laughs> did not want their name being used on the episode. I, I guess a lot of people heard that on the uh, Better Call Saul Insider podcast on the old message board on itsallgoodman.com, mm-hmm. the official website of It's All Good Man. That uh, he disagreed with the Chuck Jimmy conversation, mm-hmm. the condescension, and all right. that stuff. So if you want to read the uh, comments, just go to the website and read it. But thank you, Crazy M8, for the input. Absolutely, and one thing, if I can plug uh, this week's Nothing Important podcast, we had uh, Greg Johnson, the co-creator of Trail Jam and Earl, but next week on the Nothing Important podcast, we have a couple great guys who call themselves the Fail Scouts, who are actually scout uh, location scouts for Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And so Seabone25 writes, so that old folks home, was the same one Gus got blown up in, correct? Well, I'm not going to answer that here, Seabone. You're going to have to listen to Nothing Important Podcast next week <laughs> because the location, the actual location scouts for uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul actually answer that and give some nice little uh, tidbits about that, right, Dave? Yeah, it's actually pretty interesting. So, uh... so Seabone 25, if you want that, if you want that question answered, make sure to subscribe to Nothing Important Podcast and listen to next week's episode. So I got to respond to Jester Keaton, mm-hmm. who tweeted us, um, have you noticed the music dialogue coordination in Miho and Alpine Shepherd Boy? And uh, you had texted me, you forwarded me that message and said, right. what the hell is this guy talking about? Right, yeah, I, I got to be honest, Jester, I, I, had, <laughs> I was like, uh, Dave, you're the audio guy, tell me what the, what this guy's talking about. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it is something I noticed, I, I believe I mentioned it after uh, Uno podcast not our first episode, but after the first episode of the show, that a lot of the the songs they were playing, the lyrics were matching what was going on in the scene. So it is something I picked up on that you hadn't noticed, but ironically, you noticed they did that in this episode mm-hmm. when... When he when he told when he told uh, his son's partners that he knows it was them, we had the closed caption on and the lyrics that came up. I I, I tried to write them down, but uh, as we established earlier in the <laughs> in the <laughs> podcast, I can't write notes and see little details at the same time. But essentially, the lyrics were about a man's heart getting heavy and breaking. Mm-hmm. It was "Hold On Loosely" by Thirty Eight Special playing in the background. Nice, nice. Look at you, Dave. I'm an audio guy. Audio guy. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, so that was they. They did that again in this episode. I'm, I'm pretty sure they've done it in every episode. Um, they opened the show with it, you know. 
which I mean that's kind of obvious, but they've mm-hmm. they've been doing it throughout. They find these cool little songs that match what's going on. So excellent call on that, Jester yeah. Keaton. Thank yeah, you. that's awesome that you noticed that. And if anybody out there listening, you notice any other um, any other Easter eggs like that that we miss, please um, send them our way. So I guess it's uh, time to uh, answer the questions sent to us all the way from Australia. Our buddy Ben. So, if you recall, the first question was, how do we think that, with the caveat that this has been picked up for more seasons. Which it has. Right. That's Mm -hmm. what I meant, with the caveat. Yeah. How is the first season going to end? Because we've been saying that we think this whole show is going to end with the transition, right? Like, he's not going to fully transform to Saul until the end? Kind of like when Walter White finally became Heisenberg, or did he become Heisenberg way before the end? He became Heisenberg way before yeah, the end, that's and true. that's what I think is going to happen in this show. I think, I think the finale is because uh, we're only now like shit three episodes we're three away. Episodes out, yeah. Yeah, so I think in the final episode of the season, that's when Jimmy McGill is officially Saul Goodman. I'm. I is it too stereotypical to be like the last moment of the season is when he finally becomes Saul Goodman? Right, like somebody asks him, like like maybe he goes through whatever court case or whatever big finale they're they're cooking up, and somebody asks him who he is, and he and, or like you know like I, I'm not Jimmy McGill, I'm Saul Goodman or fade to black, right? Fade there, to yeah. black, but it, it'd even be better if it was more lighthearted and it was just like the flashback when he was trying to fleece the mark in the alley mm-hmm. with, and he's just like. Call me Saul Goodman. Yeah. You know why? Because Saul, Saul Goodman. Good, man. <laughs> like so, so that that's how I think this season is going to end up. And yeah, I think we're both in agreement. It's going to be the last episode of this season is going to be when it's when he transforms. The transformation is complete. I guess you mm-hmm. could say he starts marketing himself as Saul Goodman, not Jimmy McGill. Right, and that and then going into season two and however many seasons they do before they end. Better Call Saul. I'm hoping it's just a hilarious set of odd circumstances and cases featuring everybody's favorite criminal lawyer. Right. And so with that, um, another point uh, Ben wanted us to address was, do we see a correlation between Saul Goodman and Jimmy McGill and then Heisenberg, Walter White? And absolutely. We've been talking about that the whole time. If we haven't made it that clear, like, yeah, we think this whole first season is about that transformation into another character. Right, absolutely. You know, with you, good in, with the best of intentions, right? But still fucking everybody over on the way, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think there's, I think there's no other way that it possibly could go because we definitely know what he becomes, mm-hmm. and now here, six episodes into it, I mean, we definitely see how he started. You know, he kind of started as kind of like a jackass troublemaker, you mm-hmm. know, and then tried to make amends and. And uh, and, and he, now, start, he started off fleecing people, and now he's getting some legitimate cases. Right, yeah, and he, he tries his hand at like uh, what what Elder Law Elder <laughs> was what Law. he was going to go into last yeah, episode, and, like Matlock. And now this is the second time where he he's blatantly skirted the law, like he he's mm-hmm. blatantly acted unethically, or at least how ethical you know how how one would per- perceive and want a lawyer to act. Mm-hmm. This is now the second time. Where he's he's completely went one eighty the opposite mm-hmm. direction, so he he's just coming coming into. I think he's just accepting it. You know what? Like, you know what? Like, I am slipping, Jimmy. That's just that's <laughs> yeah. just the way I am. That's my lot in life, right? Yeah. So you know, that's just the role I'm going to play, and I'm just going to try to stay out of jail and not get killed while doing it. <laughs> and uh, the final thing from Ben's message we're going to address is uh, something I didn't even notice. Any correlation between Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill, 
and gray matter. And that maybe Jimmy's exclude problems with Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill, and then Walter's problems with gray matter. Right, because just a just a recap, real quick. Right, Walter White's problem with gray matter is he was part. He started. He was he was part of the team that started the company, and then mm-hmm. he sold his stock really early on, and then the company went into be like a multi billion dollar international conglomerate, mm-hmm. and he always felt kind of shited by that because he became a high school chemistry teacher mm-hmm. while his uh, his but his ex girlfriend married the partner. Yeah, 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 and then his associates go on to these these bigger, better things and have the mansion and millions of dollars, mm-hmm. you know. And he he can't he doesn't he can't afford like the medication for his cancer treatment, so he becomes a drug kingpin. Right. Yeah, using somebody else being so super rich off of something that he helped to build. So and, so uh, as Ben saying that like uh, it, uh, if if I if, if my thoughts to Ben's question is that he's basically asking it is one of the defining factors of both characters. They both feel that they, they missed their opportunity. Yeah. Like the, like they, they just weren't on the dock and they kind of the feel boat left for they, Yeah. And they kind of feel slighted by that, by that company. Right. Like whether it's perceived in their own head or not, because Walter totally put that in his own head. Right. Like, he Hey, just, that, that could have been me. Yeah. That could have, and should have been me. So yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot of parallel themes between mm-hmm. both of the series, but what I've enjoyed so far, far is not like a Hangover situation. Mm-hmm. Where they just repeat the same shit, right? Like Hangover One and Hangover Two were seriously the same movie. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know because I once I saw Hangover One, I figured I'd watch Star Jones. Yeah, like, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Hangover One and Hangover Two are exactly, for all intents and purposes, the same exact movie, mm-hmm. right? And I'm glad that with the prequel to a, a really successful series, that they didn't basically make the same thing over. They, I mean, although they're, they're thinly veiled, yeah, right. I mean, well, there's they're callbacks there. and yeah. a lot, a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of correlation, but it's it's not Breaking Bad 2.0. Right. It is definitely Saul's own story. Yeah, because Jimmy doesn't even have a mentee. He doesn't have a manatee. A mentee. A mint tea. A mentee. Amenities? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> He's not mentoring somebody. Oh. <laughs> Walter dumb. mentored Walter mentored Jimmy. Oh, or I, Jesse. Walter mentored Jesse. Mm-hmm. And because uh, initially there was thoughts out there that. Well, maybe Saul get an intern. <laughs> <laughs> an intern mentee. Mm-hmm. A mentorn. No, but somebody, somebody thought of that earlier. Like maybe the twins were going to be like the Jesse Pinkman. You yeah, know. but we we haven't heard yeah. heard anything about them. No, IMDb is right on that. Two credits for the show and then gone. Yeah, but that that's nice though because like I kind of like some of those loose ends hanging out there because like in, it, it's totally feasible that in real life he he might never have anything to do with them again. Right. Or like they, not everything always has to come full circle. Yeah. You know, like sometimes you have an interaction with somebody and then you 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 never see or talk to them again. Weird, indeed. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to go grab another Stella Artois before we record Preview with the Friar. This has been It's All Good Man. Uh, Please make sure to check us out on Twitter, Facebook, at our website, www.itsallgoodman.com. Make sure to check out our buddies at calltosaw.com. Dave? Call us geniuses. You're probably going to call us idiots after this one. You know, whatever it's called. That's how I dream to be.